things I've never seen before. Lord, I want to be a witness. You can take what's wrong and make it right. And make it right. This star shine down on me. Let your love shine through me in the night. Amen. I wonder if we could go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your presence that's here, O oh God. Lord, we thank you for how faithful you are. Lord, you promised where two or three would gather in your name, there you would be in our midst, O oh God. Lord, how you come and how we recognize your presence is with us, O oh God, and even in us, O oh God. We want to just ask that you would come by our way and speak to our hearts, Lord. We thank you for coming in the music, for moving through the worship, Lord. I just pray now you'd come and take this part of the service, Lord. And I pray you'd take the speaker, the hearer. You know the needs in the body. You know what we would have need to hear. You know how, to, how, we, how, how you've prepared and how we've looked. But, Lord, you know what we have need of, Lord. And I just want to lay myself out of the way. I pray that you could take over, Lord, and I pray you'd have the evening. It would be done according to your will and according to your plan. We commit ourselves to you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you to all the music and the singing. How many has enjoyed the service so far? Amen. Well, God bless you all, and I welcome everyone to the house of the Lord. And How many enjoyed the morning service? Amen. God bless you, Brother Andrew. Sometimes we don't understand it until later. But God has this way about bringing something to pass that's beyond our understanding and beyond our way. And when we see the victory, sometimes after over and over again, we start to learn, okay, Lord, I'll trust you. It may be different than the way I thought, but Lord, I'll trust you. And if we could turn to Isaiah chapter 55 tonight, and how many's happy to be a Christian tonight? Amen. Brother Branham would say, if we live right, that doesn't mean we're immune from troubles. He would say, frankly, it means that all troubles are directed our way. Amen. For many are the afflictions of the righteous, but God delivereth them out of the all. And that's the glorious part. And Isaiah chapter 55, and then we'll look at Galatians chapter 5 after that. And my, my title tonight, I'm just taking it right from a, a, a service that Brother Branham would preach. Without money or without price. Without money or without price. And... He would read some of these verses here to open up. And, Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money, come ye, buy and eat. Yea, come, buy him wine and milk without money and without price. No charge. It's freely given. Wherefore do you spend your money? Now he asks a question. This is what you're doing. This I'm offering you for free, but why do you do this? Wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread, for something that won't actually feed you, and your labor, all you work for, for that which doesn't satisfy you? Hearken diligently unto me, and eat ye that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. Incline your ears and come unto me. Hear, and your soul shall live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you. Even the sure mercies of David. Behold, I have given him for a witness to the people, a leader and commander to the people. Behold, thou shalt call a nation that thou knowest not, 
And nations that knew not thee shall run unto thee because of the Lord thy God. And for the Holy One of Israel, for he hath glorified thee. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. It's later than we think. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord. And he will have mercy upon him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts than your thoughts. Galatians chapter 5. And we'll just read the first verse in Galatians chapter 5. We, I think we can say it's a familiar scripture. <laughs> we'll spend, after we read this, we'll, we'll let you be seated, but we'll keep your fingers open to Galatians because we'll start kind of looking at the, the book of Galatians a little bit tonight. But Galatians chapter 5 verse 1 says this, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. And be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Don't be entangled again with what you've already torn down, with what you already should be past, what, what, what we've already left behind. Stand fast in the liberty. If we could keep our fingers in, in Galatians, well, God bless you. You can have your seats tonight. All right, my title tonight is Without Money or Without Price. And I'll say right off the bat, I believe we know this well, but salvation is free. It's not based on our good works or our merit. It's not based on what we can do for God. It's not based on how good we can live. It's not based on all of those things. It's freely given. Likewise, our forgiveness, when we walk down the road as a Christian and we walk down the path, we make mistakes every single day. And forgiveness is free too. It's not merit-based. It's not like an ideology where you have to do a penance or do something. That's not what the Bible says. It's freely given. Jesus paid for it already. And I want to look at that that thought a little bit. And I'll start, if we look at Galatians chapter 1. And Galatians, as I was looking at it a little bit, it's such a, a fascinating theme in the Bible to me. Some of the statements that we quote, and the scripture has compound meaning, so the scripture can be applied in different ways, but what he was referring to in the book of Galatians as he builds some of these thoughts is all along this line about move past the law and recognize you're justified by faith, not by your works. And I wonder if we could, we'll just start reading in Galatians chapter 1, and maybe we'll work through Galatians a little bit, and then we'll We'll move on in a little different direction, but Paul, an apostle, and he begins to lay out his credibility. Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brethren which are with me unto the churches of Galatia, grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present Evil world to the will of God the Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. A very traditional Paul opening. We've read many books by Paul. He would say, this is grace be unto you. I I pray for you always. Greetings. And And then he switches in the book of Galatians. And he says something very hard. He says, I marvel that you be so soon removed from the great, from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto what he calls another gospel. 
He says, grace be unto you. I marvel that you've so soon removed to something different than what I've been teaching you the whole time. And then he, he clarifies a little more. He says, which is not another, another gospel, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. My, this is dangerous. This is something serious, something that Paul calls another gospel, something you remove to, something that's perverted. What is this other gospel he's talking about? What could they be perverting? What would they be looking to? Then he says these, script, this word, these words that we know so well that, uh, that speak to a prophet, and when a prophet speaks, this is what it is. But he, to lay in his point that he says that I believe what you're looking at is another gospel, and what you're looking at is wrong, he lays in this as a vindication. He says, but though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel than that what we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. This is how serious now what he's saying, I'm about, what I'm about to tell you, this is how serious and how vindicated it is. This is how real this is that I have to say, if an angel says something different, let him be accursed. And then he, I, I believe the Jews, Jewish writing would emphasize something by repeating it as I've, as I've heard it. He says, as we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. Verse 11, but I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which we preached was not, which was preached of me is not after man. For I preached it not of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. So what was this gospel he was looking at? We'll, we'll work towards what he was talking about, but he's saying, this is true, this is right, this other thing is not right. But let me tell you, this is so true. For you have heard in times, heard of my, con for I receive, uh, for you have heard of my con conversation in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond, he begins to talk about his own conversion, how that beyond measure, I persecuted the church of God and wasted it and profited in the Jews' religion above my, many my equals in mine own nation, being exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God who separated me from my father's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. He said, I received this call from God, and I didn't go talk to anyone else about it. Immediately I didn't go to Jerusalem. I didn't confer with flesh and blood. He's establishing I got this directly from God. Immediately I went up, neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. Then after, then after three years, after I studied out what God was showing me, then I went back to Jerusalem. I saw Peter. I abode with him for 15 days. I saw no one else save James, the Lord's brother. And this is how I got where I got to. God gave me what, I, what I'm about to tell you. But you've moved to another gospel, he says. You've moved to something different. But God has directly given what I've already told you. We'll go down to chapter 2, and, and many times I think I've read this chapter, I've seen this part where he says, then after 14 years, and I kind of always maybe wondered, why is this there? But I recognize chapter 2, he's telling a story that he then expounds in 3 and 4 and 5, but he's telling the story about what he had to deal with, with the men in Jerusalem, the apostles that Jesus had left in Jerusalem, or that were still in Jerusalem. This is a story of him now. After 14 years, he'd been preaching the gospel. After 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas. And Titus was along at that time. I took Titus with me also. And he says this, And I went there by revelation. 
and communicated with unto them the gospel which I preached among the Gentiles. I went back to Jerusalem to tell them what I had been preaching. This is what I've been telling the Gentiles. You're the Jews. This is what I've been telling the Gentiles. But privately, I said, he, he said he went privately to them that had reputation to see whether or not, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. In the Amplified it says, however, I, private, I presented the matter privately before them of repute, for I wanted to make certain by thus at first confirming my communication at this private conference that I had not run that I was not running or had not run in vain, guarding against being discredited. So he calls a conference, a private conference with the disciples, and he says, this is what I've been preaching. And he presents it and sees what the reaction is. Because there was something that had been happening in Jerusalem. There's something that had been happening in Jerusalem that was not right. Something a little, there was false things that were starting to work their way in. But after this conference, it says in verse 3, but neither Titus who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. The Amplified makes it a little bit clearer. But all went well, this meeting. Even Titus, who was with me, was not compelled, as some had anticipated he would be, as some had anticipated, to be circumcised, although he was a Greek. So what was happening? The Jews, as though they had been called out to live, Jesus had come, Jesus had died, he had freely bought their salvation, freely purchased their redemption and fulfilled the Jewish law where there was circumcision, where there was law, where there was all these things. He had fulfilled it and there was supposed to be a break and a new testament was to live out in grace and in freedom, fulfilling the law and living the law, but through liberty. And there was some that were compelling them to be circumcised still. Some were still pulling elements of Jewish law in and saying, you should do this. You should do this. He shows up after 14 years to present what he had been preaching, and not even, Titus, everyone had said, no, not even Titus, his friend that he had brought with him was compelled by this false doctrine. But there's more as they go. And why are you going down this path? Well, we'll, we'll get there. This is just a background to where we're going. And that because of some false brethren, verse 4, unawares brought in who came in privily to spy out our liberty. We have liberty, but they came in to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into what he calls bondage. To go backwards is bondage. It was a truth for another day, but it was bondage today. To whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you, but of those who seem to be somewhat Whatsoever they were, it maketh no matter to me. God accepteth no man's person, Paul says. For they who seemed to be somewhat in conference added nothing to me. But contrary wise, when they saw that the gospel, so they begin to see the gospel of the uncircumcision, the Gentiles, that's us, the ones that are not born under the law. When he saw that the, the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed unto Paul, as the gospel of the circumcision was unto Peter, for he that wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, the same was mighty in me towards the Gentiles. Same thing God was doing for the Jews through Peter was what God was doing through me in the, to the Gentiles, and no one could deny it. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go into the heathen and they unto the circumcision, only that we should remember the poor the same which I was forward to do. 
So they have a meeting and it goes well. They realize, oh, Peter, Paul's got something. Paul is preaching the gospel and we've, some of, not everyone, but some of us have gotten off on our little Jewish thing. We've fallen comfortable to the way we were raised. We've fallen comfortable to the circumcision and the old laws and the old way of doing. We felt justified and comfortable in our works. Circumcision, the law, those were things that you could do. The grace that Jesus was offering was free. It was something that you had no part in doing anything about. You had to accept it. That's what Jesus offers to every one of us tonight, a free salvation. Not something that you have to work your way up to, but something that's free, something that's accepted. Verse 11, but when Peter was come to Antioch, there was still a little bit more that Paul had to take care of. I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. For before that certain time came from James, he, did, he, he used to eat with the Gentiles. He did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, these Jews came along, he withdrew himself. He was a hypocrite. He withdrew himself from the Gentiles that he had been working with. And he lived differently because the Jews were coming and he felt a little bit self-conscious in his new freedom that he had found. Fearing them which were of the circumcision. But the other Jews dissembled themselves likewise. And, and it goes on. And, and, and it says this in verse 14. But when, they, when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, and here's where the book of Galatians is focused on, this other gospel, parts of the Galatians, much of it is focused on. If thou being a Jew, livest after the manner of the Gentiles and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Jews to live as do the Gentiles? We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Jesus Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. We can't live that. But if, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we are found also, we also ourselves are found sinners. Is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid. For if I build again, if I build up the law, if I build up these old things, if I build up even old sins or different things, if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. I make myself a transgressor. For I through the law am dead to the law that I might live unto God. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, not by the works, not by my own good, but by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate, this is what it is to go back to law, I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if the righteousness came by the law, then Christ died in vain. Then Paul moves on just a little bit farther in Galatians 3. Oh, foolish Galatians. The Galatians were doing the same thing. He tells this story. This is what happened to me years ago. This is what had happened. But oh, foolish Galatians. And he uses a strong word. He says, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth crucified among you? This only would I learn of you. All of this, he had been saying, you know, I, I, I'm a prophet sent from God. What I say, if an angel said different, let him be accursed. 
I received it directly from God. I didn't confer with flesh and blood. And when I've brought it to Jerusalem before the brethren, they had to accept it. They knew it was true. This only thing would I learn from you, received you the Spirit? Did you receive the Holy Spirit by your good works? Received you the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? We get so far in our Christian walk and then we want to start to lift ourselves up and and hold our own testimony by our own bootstraps. Why would we start by faith and then end in works? That's not what's laid out in the Bible. Are you so foolish having begun in the spirit? Are you now made perfect in the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if it yet be in vain? He therefore that ministereth to you the spirit and worketh miracles among you, doeth he it by the works of the law? Do you you have your healing or a miracle happen because you were good? No, it's because you had faith for it. It's revelation. It was grace freely given to you. It's not by your own good works that you qualify yourself. It's freely given. If we live wrong, yeah, we, we pull ourselves out of the running for things. But it's not based on our works. It's based on our, I'll say, our sincerity and our surrender. He therefore that ministereth to you the Spirit and doeth the works miracles among you, doeth he it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Even as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, know ye therefore that they which are of, the, of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. So the promises that were good for Abraham are good for me then, if I can have the same faith as Abraham. And the, the works followed it. Men would look at Abraham and see that he had the works, but it started with his faith. That was what God was looking for. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith preached before the, preached before the gospel unto Abraham saying, in thee shall all nations be blessed. So then they which be of the faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. Verse 11 would say, but that no man is justified by law in the sight of God is evident for the just shall live by faith and not by works. I could keep going in Galatians, but maybe I'll just start taking some thoughts from this message. Brother Brandon would preach a message called Without Money or Without Price. And what a beautiful message it is. He would begin to tell a story, different stories to, to illustrate the picture of how what we're given as Christians and what we're offered across the board, any sinner, anyone in the world is offered a free gift of salvation. And it's not based on how good you are. It's based on if you're willing to accept the fact that it's free and I can take it and I can just receive it. If I can open my heart, freedom is there. Deliverance is there. My healing, your healing is freely given. It's the dual covenant of salvation and healing. It's all already paid for. Brother Branham would say, God's, and God's going to do it by grace he will do it. Oh, and I think of that, it just makes me want to scream. I think, oh, nothing I could do, nothing but the blood of Jesus. I, I haven't got to offer nothing. My utmost righteousness to yours would be filthy rags in his sight. So I'm a sinner to begin with, and there's nothing I could do about it, but there's something he could do. He took his son's blood and covered it over me like that. He sees me a righteous man because his son's blood made me righteous. 
Now, Brother Brandon would, would I'll, I'll just begin to go through a couple of quotes from the, money, the, from the message, without money and without price. And he would say, there's so many entertaining things of the day. Remember, we read that scripture in Isaiah. It would say, ho, oh, everyone that thirsteth, everyone in this world thirsts for something. Everyone in this world is built in with an inner thirst. That's why we go and do all the things that we do. All the people we meet, all the careers, the jobs, the sin, all of the things are to try to satisfy something that's on the inside. And that, 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 that spot in your heart can only ever be filled by God. That's the only key that'll unlock it where you'll actually get satisfaction. That's the only thing that fills that spot in your heart. But we try with so many other things. And Brother Brandon would say there's so many entertaining things of our day. There's so much to entice people of what we would call pleasures. And he says this, it's for people of all ages. Not just the young, not just the old. He says there are enticements for the young people. The modern dances and the rock and roll parties and the music that, that goes with it. And it's all enticing for entertainment. He says, I don't care how good a home a child has been brought up in and how it's been taught to do right. If that child hasn't accepted the experience of the new birth, rock and roll music catches his attention just as quick as he hears it. Because in him is born in him by nature a carnal spirit. And the power of the devil is so great today that it catches the spirit of that little one. But Brother Branham doesn't stop there because we've read that quote many times. He goes a little step farther. He says, it's not just for the young people. He says, and how much more will it do to the old then that has rejected the new birth? Yeah. Rock and roll is not just some, the music of the day is not just a draw to the young. He says, how much more will it do to the old if we've rejected the new birth? Maybe the young haven't had their opportunity yet, but those that would turn down a new birth, even sitting in a church, how the music, the enticements, all of the things of the world will pull at you and draw you. Because only as your life is changed and you're converted and born anew into the kingdom of God, your nature will still be of the things of the world, no matter how religious you are. Let me say it again. Your nature will still be of the things of the world, no matter how religious you are. What's your nature? What's your inner desire? But still, that will have some kind of drawing power on you, because this old man of sin and his desires is not dead in you yet. But once let God take the throne in your heart, those things don't bother. It's so much greater. Brother Brandon would tell a story. He said, I, I can't mention the man's name. He couldn't remember it at the time when he started, but many will, you, will remember him. They, they say there was an island where that, where that the men would go in ambush and the men, women would come out singing. There was this island that sailors would go by in their ships, and they would have to pass by this certain island to reach a final destination. And the women would come out singing and dancing and all of the things on, on the beaches of this island, and the ship would have to go by. And many a sailor had, had looked over and saw the enticements of what seemed to be good on that island, and they had turned in, only to find out that the men were in the bushes behind the beach waiting to come out in ambush and kill those sailors that came out on and many a man had lost their life on that island, turning in where they should not have turned in. And so, and the ambush, and, and a certain great man wanted to pass by that same island. And so he knew in his own humanity he couldn't overcome that. And so he had his sailors tie him to the mast post and put something in his mouth so he couldn't scream. And put plugs in his sailors' ears so they could not hear and sail by 
And the women came out dancing and screaming and singing. And oh, it was so great. Brother Branham says, till he turned the hide on his wrists, screaming to his sailors, turn in, turn in. As much as he had done everything to hold himself back, that something hadn't changed on the inside. He was holding himself well, but something hadn't changed on the inside. But the sailors, his crew couldn't hear them, hear him because they had, they had their earplugs in. But then he sailed to a certain place. He reached his final destination where they had to unmask and they untied him and they took the plugs out. And there walking on the streets, he heard a musician that was so far supreme to what he had been hearing back on that other island. And when he passed by again, so he has to go back now, but he had heard something so beautiful, something so supreme, something so life-changing on this other island that when he had to go back, they asked him, should we tie you in again? Should we plug your ears? Should we cover your eyes? Should we hold you back? Should we take your, whatever you want to say? He said, no. No, I've heard something so much greater. That thing, that old thing doesn't bother me anymore. I'm different now. It's not based on what I have to hold myself to. There's something on the inside that's come and changed me. And I can tell you, it was a free gift. He was out there just walking down the street and something had caught his attention. He had turned in and began to listen to something that was greater. And it was free. It was something that he could listen to and just receive. It wasn't something he had to work himself to. It wasn't something he had to tie himself to or hold himself back from. He was free. And it was free. And he wanted to live it that way. That's the way it is with a born-again Christian. They found something so much greater than the rock and rolls and entertainments of the world. They're entertained by the Holy Spirit. It's so much greater till the world is dead to them. God help us to live that way. God help us to be that way. It's free for us. It's free for us. Now, the, the entertainment of the world today costs a lot of money. You just drive, just driving costs a lot of money. And drive to another province, it costs a lot of money. Take my word for it. <laughs> to drink, to smoke, to run around, to gamble, it costs you money. All of the things of the world cost you money. Everything that we have is set out, and it's very much in North American society. It's prevalent that way. Money, money, and, and there's you know, apparent, an apparent abundance of money, though there's probably more debt here than anywhere else. There's a price attached to the pleasures and releases today. And God also pays you wages for those things. Did you know that the wages of sin is death? That's the wages that God sees it. When you are doing wrong and headed in the wrong direction, God pays you your wages for it if it's unrepented for. If it's repented for, it's different. But the wages of it ultimately will be death. Brother Branham would say, and remember, you've got to settle up with God someday for it. The wages of sin is death. You don't make no nothing here on earth. It's a false mirage. Drinking will only add sorrow. Sin will only add death upon death. Your final check will be separation from God eternally into the lake of fire. And you cannot gain anything but lose. Then God comes and asks the question. Because God's not wanting you to go there. God comes and asks you the question, why do you spend your money for these things that satisfy not? Why do you do it? What makes a man want to do it? They spend all that they've got, all that they can to earn, to buy drinking, to clothe some woman that they run with, or some kind of a worldly lustful pleasure. But we're told in the Bible, and we're bid to come to God and buy eternal joy and eternal life without money and without price. No charge. It's free. 
if you can receive it and if you can accept it. Those things cannot satisfy, and the end of them is eternal death. And it costs you all the money you can muster together to be the big shot or entertainer or the fun boy or whatever you might be or the popular girl or whatever it is. It costs you all you can together to do that. Dress in the very highest of dressing. Do all things that you can do only to reap a check of eternal damnation. Brother Branham would say, then you see how essential the new birth has to be. You must be born again. It's got to be. Come to me and buy without money. Choose life. It's available. It's free. As much as that's the wages of sin, there's a wages of eternal life. That those that will, that will reap their wages for what they receive and for what they live out and for what they act out. You can't say, Brother Brandon will say, you can't say I don't have the money. You don't need any money. It's freely given. He says, we, we Americans are so prone to paying our way for everything. That's our slogan. We pay for things. We got money. Flash our dollar bills to other countries and so forth that's poor. He says he was going on a trip on a train, and he had a, a, there was a porter that was taking him. He says it was about the end of the tabernacle that he had to get, and he had, a, I think he said he had a shaving kit, his suitcase, and his briefcase, I think. And he was going just to the train. It's not hard to carry three things. And the porter comes up and says, well, I'll take it for you. He says, no, I've, I've got it. It's just you know, like a minute away, 30 yards, I think he says. He's like, no, I'll take it. And he takes the stuff for him. He, he carries it over to the train, the end of the tabernacle distance. About a minute, he said he had it in possession. He gets up and he says, I knew he was paid, but I guess I'll give him a quarter or something. And, 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 and so he gets on the train, he gives him a quarter, and, and the porter says, just a minute, sir. And he says, what's up? And, and he says, well, I packed three bags for you. Yeah, I gave you 25 cents. He says, well, my minimum charge is 25 cents a bag. <laughs> Pay, money, everything. It's all built that way in our society. You do a little thing, Brother Brandon would talk about, you fall in the ditch, your car goes in the ditch, you have to pay a tow truck to pull you out. He would say, if, if, if there's a farmer with a tractor, you might have to pay him more, he said. It, it's all money and pay. And the way our society is built, everything is dollars and cents. And every, what's the value of that? And oh, should I? But Jesus is different. Jesus is different. He says, you go riding in your car and let it fall into the ditch and you get someone to pull you out. You better get ready to pay because they're going to charge you for it. If a wrecker comes and gets you, he'll charge you so much a mile. And the farmer, nine times out of ten, gets his tractor out, it'll be worse than that. You've got to pay for everything you get done. Everything is pay, money, pay money. And yet, how much greater ditch has sin thrown you into? Who could ever get you out of the ditch of sin? But God takes you out of the ditch of sin without money, without price, when there's no one could take you out. If you don't pay dearly for your record pulling, you'll stay in the ditch. If you don't have the money, you'll stay in the ditch. But the worst ditch you ever got in is what the devil throwed you in. The ditch of sin and unbelief. And God willingly will pull you out without money and without cost. And yet you lay in the ditch just sloshing in sin. And don't even call upon him. When you, when you get the wrecker out, usually they'll get a great big chain over the way of the ditch and wrap it around the bumper and so forth and begin to crank. And the power of the car begins to pull. And the motors go to operating and pulls you out. And when God finds you in the ditch of sin and hears you calling on him, he sends down a chain that's wrapped around Calvary. The love of God and hooks it into your heart and pulls the power of the Holy Spirit in there to start pulling. And it don't cost you nothing. 
and yet we lay in the ditch because we can't pay it with our pockets. We think we have to work our way up to be good enough to come into a church door. You don't have to be good enough. You're welcome to come into a church door. Come without money and without price. He's calling you. He wants you to come. He wants to tie that chain of love from Calvary all the way to your heart and begin to pull without money, without price. We Americans think we can pay it out of our pockets, but you can't. It's without money, without price. Usually when they pull you out of the ditch, you're all scratched up and you have to go to the hospital. And before they start working on you, before one thing is done, they ask who's going to pay the bill. It's all like that, over and over. If we're going to sew up the wounds, if we're going to pour in the oil and give the shots to inoculate you from blood poisoning, what kind of insurance do you have? Before they do one thing, it's got to be money on the line. But when God puts his chain of love around your heart, and pulls you from the ditch of sin, he heals every broken heart. He takes away all the sin, and the bill is put in the sea of his forgetfulness to remember against you no more. Come without money or without price, no matter how bad you're cut up, no matter how bad you're bruised, how your family has done, or what you have done, there's no bill to it. He heals the heartaches. He takes away all the sorrows. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we were healed. It's all free. It's all free. There was a little boy named Benny, a blind boy up in the mountains. Little Benny, he was born blind, about, or about eight months old. Cataracts had begun growing over his eyes. And his parents were poor, and they lived on an old hill, clay, clay hillside. And they knew that there was an operation that could save little Benny's eyes so he could see it was cataracts. And he was a boy now of about 12 years old, and his parents could just get enough, just enough money to get bread on their table, but never enough to save up for the operation. And all the neighbors one year, together, seen little Benny trying to play with the kid. All the neighbors would see little Benny trying to play with the little kids. And out there blind, he couldn't see what he was doing. They felt sorry. And each one that year put in a little bit extra. There was a year that they came together and they said, we'll put in a little bit extra, a little bit extra on the crop, a little bit extra here. We'll pool our money together. And they labored a little harder in the sunshine. And when the crops was sold in the fall, they took the money and put little Benny on the train and sent him to the doctor. They performed the operation successfully, and when he returned back, all the neighbors gathered around little Benny, got off the train, his little bright eyes a-shining. He began to scream and cry as he looked upon their faces, and one of the conductors said, oh, son, what did it cost you for that operation? He said, mister, I don't know what it cost these people, but I'm so glad I can see their faces who paid the price, and that's the way we feel. I don't know what it cost God. I know he gave me the best he had, his son. I'm so thankful to have my spiritual sight that I can look into his face and know that he died for me. I don't know what it cost him. We have no way to estimate it. The price is too great when they took him and they beat him from top to bottom. And they, I, I was watching a, a, a video that they would talk about how brutal the crucifixion would have been. And they had the, these spikes that would dig in and pull out. And they, they would talk about how it, would, it was graphic, how awful it would have been. All across his body, up and down his back. 
And it, the, the chains would, the, the thing would dig in and it would said they would have a half inch of muscle sticking out or an inch, you know, just brutal. Yeah. And he died for us. Stripes for our peace. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. By his stripes, we're healed. He paid for it already. Amen. It's free now for us. If we can believe it, Brother Branham, someone asked him, well, why don't you go into the hospital and heal everyone? He said, well, why don't you, he said, first off, why don't, well, why don't you go out into the streets and save everyone, everyone? And he said, well, I could if they would believe me. And he said, well, I could go into the hospital and heal everyone if they'd believe me too. That's all that God is looking for us. Where is our faith? Where can we reach out and say, God, I believe your word. I know you're real. I know you're true. You know, the more we sit in our own guilt and our own condemnation, the less we move forward in life. If we've got a spirit of guilt that comes over us, it's one of the worst things. A spirit of condemnation. Did you know that condemnation, there's conviction from God, but condemnation is a devil? Condemnation is a devil because it's not of God, so it has to be a devil. And condemnation can haunt you, something that you've long been forgiven by, something that you've long been forgiven by, or even something in the moment you're forgiven. Move on. It's free. You don't have to sit doing penance. That's not our religion. That's some other gospel. Our salvation is free. Our salvation is freely given, freely offered, without money and without price. Even in, in our daily moments, that motivation to push forward in things becomes hard when we live under guilt and condemnation. Sometimes we hold ourselves to too high of a standard and have to remember, I, I'm still human. I don't, I don't want to live that way. But I'm human. I, I failed. I'm going to make it right, and I'm going to move forward. Because if we hold ourselves back and think we have to do some self-inflicted, I'm bad and I'm evil and I'm bad. That's not what God wanted. It's free, but it holds us back in our life and we, 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 we can't push forward because we can't just simply accept the free grace that was given us. In Galatians, it would say, in Galatians 5 verse 4, it said, Christ has become no effect unto you, whosoever of you are justified from the law. Those that would be justified, I'm justified by how good I am. He says, you're fallen from grace. The moment that we begin to feel like we had something to do with it, it living good is right. That, that's right. That's the right thing to do. We ought to live right. And we ought to be happy when we live right. When we're overcoming, enjoy. That's, what, that's the goal. But it's not our justification. It's not where we can feel like we're somebody or something. He says that he that's justified by the law, you're fallen from grace. For we through the Spirit... Wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision availeth anything, but faith which worketh by love. He's talking to the Galatians. He says, ye did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? Why have we gotten caught up in guilt and condemnation and, 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 and trying to go back to some old law? You did run well. This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. He says, and then he says this statement. He says, a little leaven, a little bit of going back, just a little bit of that leaveneth the whole lump. A little bit of guilt, a little bit of condemnation, a little bit of something that when Christ has already paid for what we've got, already saved us, already delivered us, already brought us, to go back, to be under some bondage or some thought or some memory, or so, 
It leavens a whole walk. It's something that we're supposed to live in freedom and liberty. There's a, there's, a, there's a quote where Brother Bradham would talk about Moses out on the backside of the desert. He had been the Pharaoh. He had known, what, or he, almost the Pharaoh. He knew he was called to be the deliverer. Here he was on the backside of the desert going around for 40 years. And Brother Bradham would say he lost all thoughts of freedom. We get so down and out on the bottom, on the bottom that we begin to lose all of the thoughts of freedom. There's no way that we, I can get up past this. There is a way. There is a way that we can get up past this. We're not supposed to live a merit-based Christianity. That's not what it is. We're supposed to live right. We will. And, and we'll, get, we'll get to the other side of it in a, in a moment. But we're not supposed to live that. That's not what, holds, that's not what God's looking for. The other religions of the world can lean to works or mandates or rules or you have to live this way. But our faith produces a life. Not by our own power, but because it changes our desire. Like that man passing the island. He didn't have to be bound up anymore because there was some other call from another kingdom that had so changed his desire. He didn't want to do that anymore. He didn't want to go down that path anymore. He was free and he did live right. But it wasn't by his own, his own works and his own mandate. And I'll say we have to be careful. We don't project a works-based or merit-based Christianity on everyone else either. That's right. This is the bar, and you've got to start jumping higher. The bar that we ought to jump for is a sincerity bar. Yeah. If I could say it. I don't want to say that in the wrong way. What we need is more sincerity. That's, right. That's what produces a life. That's what produces power over the devil is our sincerity, not our works. The works come from the sincere surrender to Jesus Christ, receiving what he's done. And yes, we'll live right, because that's what we have to do and what we ought to do. We will do that. But if our forgiveness is full and free from God, let's forgive full and free everyone else too. There's that story of the servant. He, ha he was forgiven a debt of his master, a great debt from his master, and he had his own servant, didn't forgive the debt. As we forgive, we'll be forgiven. As we forgive, then we can be forgiven by God. James chapter 5 would say, confess your faults. So when we do, do wrong. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are, and, we, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. I believe we probably know the quote for this, but how many knows what Brother Brandon would say what a righteous man was? About this scripture, one of the quotes for sure is about this scripture. He says, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man, he says, now, a righteous man is not a sinless man. A righteous man is a man who's confessing his sins in a righteous one. Oh, that takes all of our ups and downs out of it. A righteous man is not a sinless man. We will fall every day. But a righteous man is one that gets up. A righteous man, I think the Bible would say he would get up seven times. He would keep going forward. He would keep pecking away until he can break through. And then when he breaks through, he lives it and he stays there. And he stands fast in the liberty where Christ has made him free. And he's not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. 
Another message. Now a righteous man is not a sinless man. He says it twice in two different messages and maybe more. For you notice, he said, Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are. He had his ups and downs and his differences. And the scripture of his life proves that he had his ups and downs like we do. And he had his times of wondering and his times that his temper got away on him. And he had a lot of things that went wrong, but he was still a righteous man. My, this takes away all of these other things. He was still a righteous man. Why? Because he confessed his unworthiness and believed in God. That's what made him righteous. It wasn't that he just, shall we live in sin that grace abound? God forbid. God help us when we fall down and we stay down too long. Oh, God help us. That's not what we ought to do. But get up and keep going. It's freely given. We're not righteous within ourselves. We're righteous through Jesus Christ. I could not be sanctified within myself. I'm sanctified through Jesus Christ who stands in, in the presence of God in my place. It isn't my holiness. It's his holiness. My holiness won't work out at all. But his does because God has done accepted him. And in accepting him, he had to accept me because I'm in him. Amen. That's what makes it real. Then we don't have to depend on ourselves. God's got superior tactics. We've got to stop depending on what we can do about everything. It's not about that. He wants to overcome through us. He wants to so live in us and so dwell in us, the Son of Man coming through flesh again, that it had nothing to do with John Perzok and everything to do with Jesus Christ. Now, that doesn't, mean, that doesn't make say we can sin. He says, brother, if you sin, you're just, you're away from God. That's all. There's only one thing to do. But then he says, there's only one thing to do is confess it and get right with God. As long as you desire to sin, the desire of sin is still in your heart, then it's time to stay down at the altar till that thing is taken out. Then he says, now you will sin. You're bound to sin because you just can't help it, but not willfully sin, he said. He that will, sins willfully after he has received the knowledge of this truth, see, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sin. But he says, but every day you're bound to sin. I think in another message he would call it sins, mistakes, things that would buffet us, things that will fall at with the Holy Ghost, but things that will fall at because we're stuck in this mortal flesh. He says, you're bound to be backsliding constantly, so we don't want to stay there. It takes a constant prayer to God. We have to stay in the life. There, there's a scripture in Galatians that would say, if we walk in the spirit, we will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. And later in that chapter, it'll say, if we live in the spirit, sometimes we live in the spirit and come out of it. Go in and go out willingly. And then we live up and down and in and out. If we live in the spirit and we won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh, then it also says, if you live in the spirit, walk in it, stay in it, abide in it. That's when you'll walk in the spirit and not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. If Paul had to die daily, how much more? I'm going to have to stay dead all the time, Brother Branham says. If Paul had to die daily to stay right with God, and so we'll have to do that, just die out to ourselves. Die out to ourselves. So now if salvation is free, without money and without price, something that we can accept, something that we can just take a hold of and say, God, I accept it, and I believe it, and I'm going to live it, there's still got to be a catch, right? There's got to be something that God's looking for in return. 
There's got to be some, I don't want to say it in the wrong way because it is free, but there's an asterisk. There's still an asterisk. There's something that God wants from us. What does God deserve from us? If he gave his whole life for us, if he gave everything for us, I heard, a, I heard a, a story or a testimony from, from someone just the other day. It was a denominational Christian who was fighting with suicide. And, and they would have been fighting with it, and they'd been thinking about the ways, and they knew in the Bible it's not a good thing to do, if I can say that, and that's not right. And it's a bad place to be scripturally when you do that. And so he was looking through the scripture, how could I do this and still be Okay. And he said one day he realized the only way he could do it is if God were to kill me, strike me dead. I hope this is not strange to say, but he said the only way I could do it is that. So he went to his room and began to pray, God, strike me dead. And he said, and God did. And now I don't want to commit suicide anymore. I died to myself. God killed me in a different way. God changed me. What does God want from us when he offers free salvation? Our whole life in return. A dying out of ourself. We owe our whole life to him. There, there's no money or price, but there's something we owe. There's something we owe that's our whole life, our whole being, our whole desire, our whole everything. Amen. Brother Brandon would come up in the prayer line and someone would, 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 ask, would need to be healed. And he said, oh, okay, I can pray for you for that, but are you going to give your life to God? A sinner would come up. Because as much as salvation and healing would come together, as much as God can heal you, that thing can come back on you if you're not going to live right. If you're not going to now come and be grateful for what the God of heaven has done for you, so much so that you'll give your life to him. That's what God wants from you, is your whole life. Because then he can use you. Because then he can live through you. Then he can overcome through you, and the holiness and the, the power of God can come through you. If we confess our sins, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, this is a promise I go to. If I can confess my sins, the Bible says he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us. I don't want just, God help us. We can be forgiven and stay down, forgiven. And, but we want the cleansing power of God. A true repentance is to not just say, God forgive me, but to turn and go the other way. And make a change. And make a difference. I'm so glad, brother. I, I won't read it, but I'm so glad uh, for a sea of forgetfulness. Where it's gone. Brother Andrew read a scripture I had in my notes. Micah, eight, Micah 7 about that casting it into the sea. We'll just wind our, our, our thoughts down and... We can look and we can think that salvation is free. But sometimes we get really low down and we can get beat up, That's right. caught up the bottom of our life, hit rock bottom, hit spots where we didn't want to be, right. spots that were back again, entangled again with the yoke of bondage, or caught in a spot where we would look up and say, how in the world could this have happened? How did I get here? Sin will take you farther than you ever wanted to go keep you longer than you ever wanted to stay. Brother Brandon would preach the message once more, and he would talk about Samson. And he would talk about how there was a, a coliseum. He would talk about an upside-down, mushroom-shaped coliseum that was set. A party was done that day. And the, the lords and ladies of the Philistines had come out together 
to mock a man named Samson. They had gathered, there was the eating, the drinking. He would talk about how there was preliminaries that had gone on. Maybe the, the monkeys had done this and something else had done that and men had fought their, themselves to the death, but there was a main attraction that was to happen that day. There was something that was to be truly celebrated and there was their fish god Dagon, that fish was there and the fire was burning underneath it and, and there they were celebrating the defeat of the man of God. Brother Brandon would say it would so hurt his heart to say that. But it was true. They were there celebrating the defeat of Samson. And there he was, his eyes plucked out, tied to a mass pole in the middle of that upside-down mushroom-shaped coliseum. The fire was burning under that fish, and, and there he was, defeated, blind, maybe beaten up, surely defeated in his mind, knowing that what I had set out to accomplish, God had commissioned me to accomplish my goal, my commission, my Nazarite vow, why I had grown this long hair was to be the deliverer of Israel from the Philistines. And here I am in their Colosseum, tied to a mast pole, blind. Their God is being worshipped. They've just had a whole day set aside to mock me and to celebrate the defeat. What a place to be. What a rock bottom place to be, to look up and see how the devil can be so down on us sometimes yeah. and when he takes a takes a moment where he's knocked us down he does a moment to do a victory lap yeah. he does a moment to try to keep us down the devil is deadly with discouragement yeah. the devil is deadly when he has you down he keeps kicking he, he doesn't care about cheap shots he keeps going and trying to dig and trying to make it so it's demotivating to ever get up again like brother andrew's preaching that eagle comes out of the sky he's come down to the bottom but there's something else still out there there's something else still out there and But Samson began to, began to think, and he began to pray the right kind of prayer, Brother Brandon would say. What Samson needed to do is what we need to do when God gives us that free gift of salvation. It's to say, okay, I, I offer my life to you. I offer my life to you. That's what Samson got to the spot of. Samson prayed the right kind of a prayer. Lord, let me die with this enemy. There you are. Brother Brandon would say this, you don't want to die with your pride. You don't want to die to the things of the world. Now remember, I'm talking to literally thousands around the world when I'm saying this. I'm not speaking just here in Chicago. I'm speaking to the world. You don't want to die. But that's the only way there's a possibility of a revival. Before reviving comes death. Before we can go to something that would be resurrection, there has to be a death. Before God can set us free, there has to be a death to self. It's a free gift, but we have to be willing to die out to ourself. You don't want to die, but that's the only possibility there is a revival. You blinded Samson. Can't you see that Delilah has blinded your eyes? And the only way that you'll ever be, bring back the strength to the church is to, the, to die to the enemy that's got you in this worldlyism. Samson said, let me die with the enemy. There's a great price to pay. You must die to the thing that's brought you into this thing. We have to hate that devil so much, the things that bind us sometimes. We have to begin to actually hate it enough to want to be free. Jesus asked that man at the pool of the Bethesda, do you want to be free? He had to say yes. He had to want to be free. Otherwise, there was, no, there was nothing Jesus could do. But when he desired freedom... 
Let me die with the enemy. You must die to the thing that's brought you, you Pentecostal people, to where you are this afternoon. You've got to die to it. Samson, and here's the good news, Samson was willing to pay the price to get the power of God back in his life again. Are we willing to pay the price to get that power, that joy, that love back in our life again, the overcoming power? There's a price truly to be paid. That's our life, not money, not price, not our good works, our life, our surrender, our sincerity. I wonder if the church is this afternoon willing to pay the price and die with the enemy, the thing, all your popularity, all your this, that, or the other, fill in your blank, just to see the power of God back on you again and become a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Samson knew that was going to happen if his prayer was answered. He knew he was going to get his power back, his strength back, but we haven't counted the cost yet. What's going to happen if... What's going to happen if God answers your prayer to become a real, genuine child of God? If you desire to be a real, genuine child of God, what do you think that will be like? God will answer it. He wants to answer it. You know you're gone from your denomination right then, he says. And 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 he goes on, but Samson said, let me die. He was willing to pay the price. He knew that his present backslid condition could never meet the challenge of that hour. He knew in his current position, he couldn't fight the Philistines, though he was commissioned to. He was backslidden. Yet, he was just as much a man as he ever was in his muscles. His frame was just as big as it ever was. He had been working in the mill for a while. He hadn't lost his strength, manly strength. He was just as big a muscle that he could ever raise up on his arm at any time. It was probably larger because he'd been grinding down, doing the heavier work. And Brother Brandon would say, we've got better churches, better buildings and everything. But where is our strength, spiritually speaking? Oh, we, we could take a vote in the nation, sure. We could do these things. But that ain't what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the presence of God being recognized among us. That's what we ought to live for. He knew that this backslidden condition could not meet the challenge of the hour. But Samson began to realize, and this is what we need to do. When we hit our low parts, he realized there's a possibility that God will hear me. There's a possibility that I can be free. I remember the word says that he that the Son has set free is free indeed. There's a possibility I can fulfill that, that I can live off of that promise of God. And while he thought the Philistines had not noticed him, while this little boy had untied his hands and walked back, he said, lay my hands upon the post. There's a possibility. I wish the church could see it. There is a possibility of a real revival. This time it's the bride's revival. And it's ongoing, but there's a possibility to get in it. There's a possibility to be in it every day, to live in it, to be in it. What did he do? He raised up his sockets. He had no eyes. Towards God, they never noticed the moving of his lips as he was sincerely confessing. We don't need just a little, Lord, forgive me and Jim and Joe and all of us, amen. We need a sincere cleaning up from the pulpit to the janitor. They never noticed the tears running down from them sockets where he had once had eyes. They never noticed the moving of his lips, his eyes, briny tears streaming down from the sockets. He wanted God to make his word once more vindicated, to prove 
as I say to this Delilah today, or this Samson rather, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. Once more, he thought, it would happen, not a new denomination or sectarian, but a vindicated word from you, God. I know you're still God. I'm blind. I've gotten off the track. I'm not worthy to live. Let me die with this enemy. You raised me up to destroy. I've failed you, Lord, but there's a possibility you'd hear me. Once more, Lord, once more, in dead earnest he prayed. Brother Brandon would preach the message desperation after he had preached the message the token. And that wasn't an accident. When we want that new birth, that transforming, quickening power, we have to reach a spot where we're so desperate we'd die for it. Die out to ourselves. We'd die out to everything that we'd have. When he prayed that prayer and the tears rolling from his cheeks with deep sincerity of confession, that's what the church needs. Confess your wrong. Don't care what Dr. Jones says or what anyone says. If you're out of the word of God, confess it that you're wrong. Cry out once more, Lord, once more, once more. Avenge my blindness upon these denominations and give me strength, Lord, to shake this denominational world with your vindication. He knew what was going to happen if his prayer was answered. He knew, dead earnest, crying once more. When we hit our bottom, when we hit our moments, if we can look up to him and realize it's free, God offers it to us. But if I can come now, not with just a dry eye confession, but with sincerity, sincerity to the word, sincerity to truth, sincerity that I want to live right, and we begin to confess to God, he's faithful. He's just. He'll forgive us our sins. He'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He'll pick us up. He'll bring us to the post. He'll set us to the skies. He wants us to live free. And when we li- if, if there's a sinner, God wants you to be free. God calls for you to be free. God wants you to to come up out of all of those other things and set your wings to the winds of faith. Not just to the winds of good works or the winds of all these other things, but there's a wind of faith that lifts you up higher than you ever could lift yourself, and it's free. But God wants your heart. God wants your life. Let me tell you something. You had better destroy your enemy before your enemy destroys you. That's right. Bring back the old-fashioned prayer meetings, the real godly repentance, the all-night altar service. Oh, Pentecost, hear me. Turn with your whole heart back to the Word of God. Turn back to the power of the Holy Ghost. You women dress like women. You men dress like you, men act like men, like sons and daughters of God. God help us to have a true repentance, not half-heartedly. You can't do it. And Brother Branham would go and pray. We'll just bring this maybe to a close, but that's what God offers for us, is full, free salvation without money, without price. It's free. But God wants something from us because truly what we ought to live is on top of the devil and not just always needing to repent. We will, Brother Branham says, every day. But less and less, we don't want to keep repeating the same things. We want to live higher and higher. And there's a path for it. There's a promise for it. There's a provision for it. There's a place where we can live led of God.
where we don't just keep going around the same wilderness circle or cycle, but we can go higher and higher. God wants that for us. Choose life, not death. That's what God desires for us. Brother Branham would, would talk about a vision of a, of a mumba snake that was going after his brother. It couldn't touch him. And a voice came up from above me and said, you have been, power, give, been given power to bind him, the worst, or any. There's one, oh, well, what, what must I do, God, he says. There's one thing you must do. You must be more sincere. You must be more sincere. That's what gives us the power to bind him, the worst, or any spirit. Did you know nothing can stand before God? There's no power, no spirit, no sickness, no devil, no darkness that can stand before the king of kings because he's the creator of it all. If we can accept it, if we can begin to realize I believe. Lord, help my unbelief, but I believe and begin to confess it. Maybe we don't even believe it at the start, but begin to confess it. I'm free. I'm free. I believe I'm free. Thank God I'm free. Amen. He can begin to move in our, in our words. Let us give our whole lives to Jesus Christ. Let's give every part of ourselves to Jesus Christ. If the musicians could come. Today, some people... God, sorry, one, if God can only find one man, that's all he needs. One man can fully surrender to him. He don't take an army. He never did use that. He only uses a man. Now, Samson gave his strength, gave God his strength to use, but he didn't give God his heart. He gave his heart to Delilah. He gave his strength to God. But you've got to surrender soul Body, spirit, strength, everything you are to the will of God. Become a prisoner to him. You're going to be somebody's prisoner. The things of the world, you're a prisoner to that. You'll serve it. It'll make you its prisoner. But Jesus is a different kind of pr prisoner. It's a prisoner of love, as Brother Andrew said this morning. You don't belong to yourself. You're somebody's prisoner. You're either a prisoner of the devil, knowing this truth and won't surrender to it, are a prisoner to the world and surrender to God, one or the other. You're either the devil's prisoner to sin or you're God's prisoner to righteousness, where you will live right, because you'll have to, because that's your desire, because that's what God makes you do from the inside. You're one or the other, but there's a way to live without money and without price. Amen. Let's all stand. If we could sing that song, This Is My Desire. Oh, this is my desire to honor you, Lord, with all my heart, I worship you.
Give myself away. I give myself away so you can use me. I give myself away. Oh, I give myself away so.
Self away, oh, I give myself away, so 